observing guide to Jupiter and Saturn on episode 357 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky and this podcast is for everybody who likes going out under the stars. How are you doing this morning, Shane? <clears throat> Not too bad. How about you? I'm a little tired. I was out observing last night and out observing again this morning because we really haven't had many nights. So I was trying to uh, enjoy what little clear sky we've had. I'll put it mm. that way. Awesome. And were you uh, uh, using a telescope or your newly acquired image stabilized binoculars? Well, I put my uh, telescope out, but I did uh, most of my observing with the binoculars there and um, looking at, uh, yeah, lots of sort of higher up summer Milky Way stuff because it's still pretty soft low down and had a nice long look at M11 and, and the Scutum star cloud. I did a bit of a sketch of that and yeah, I just panned around quite a bit looking at uh, a variety of different things. Looked at M33. I, I did a sketch of M33 and took a long look at M34, which is uh, an open cluster there in uh, Perseus. And I did a really crappy sketch of that. But <laughs> the M33 sketch of uh, this is the Triangulum Galaxy there and Triangulum, that came out pretty, pretty good. But yeah, just uh, enjoying the 12 by 36 binoculars and Get up this morning, look for the comet, did not see it. And I came back here, there was this cloud that started like, you know, sometimes you see like a cloud like rapidly forming and it was sort of in the same, well, it was in the northeast in that region of the sky and the moon was in high in the east. And you could really see this cloud just forming up like in real time. So I came back down here and uh, just sat in a chair and did a sketch of, uh, did a sketch of M42, uh, like the sword region of, of Orion, just with the binoculars. So so that was fine. But yeah, it was disappointing not to uh, get the comet. Hmm. Yeah, that's too bad. How are you liking the binoculars? Well, they're amazing. Yeah, mm -hmm. the uh, these are the 12 by 36 Canon image stabilized binoculars. And there's something I had always wanted for like a long time. Mike uh, had bought a pair of the 15 by 50s uh, at least 12 years ago. And I spent a long time looking through those. Uh, however, the the downside of those ones is just the uh just a little bit of the weight really necessitates sitting in a chair but i wanted to get a pair that i could use just sort of as a real grab and go um optic that had a little bit more punch than my seven by fifties and that's kind of how i've been using it where i've just been you know sometimes you need to move to get into a spot to see something whether it's a comet or or like m42 last night just because it was rising and yeah, it was just nice to to be able to uh, to do that. It really, kind of gives you more of like a telescopic appearance. I find with the image stabilization than it does a, a binocular view. You really get, um, yeah, it really feels a little bit more zoomed in, and yeah, could really see like huge extent to the Orion Nebula with them. Pretty surprising. Hmm, that's awesome. We got a few uh, Patreon supporters to thank. I think before we get running on this Jupiter and Saturn. We do. Uh, so thank you to Rob, who's a brand new supporter. And also thank you to John N, who renewed uh, his support. So thank you uh, to you too. And thank you to all of our Patreon supporters uh, helping to keep the show going. Yeah, really appreciate it. Actually, uh, John is the one of the people that I met when I was up in Cyprus. So appreciate that, John. Thank you so much. Uh, Eric 
sent us uh, some support as well. These are pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, thank you very much, Eric. Really appreciate the gear. So he sent us uh, some uh, some hoodies, uh, some stickers. Uh, so the hoodies say, I can't quite read it now. Is it, it Star yeah, I got Seeker? Them. Shane doesn't have them yet. Um, they say Star Seeker on them. Yeah, yeah. And it says Calgary Center, R-E-S-C, Calgary Center. And what they did, uh, Eric was telling me, is they went and took like their old 1970s, I think, or something like that, um, newsletter logo, and then went to, a, um, I guess, like one of the companies that does shirt printing and whatever, and they they printed vinyl um, low-in-the-dark uh, material on them with, with this logo. So it was pretty cool. I wondered if it was glow-in-the-dark, and I, had, I actually opened it outside, and then um, <laughs> I took, took it inside, and you could see... I could see it glowing even in our living room already just with the blinds um, pulled. So that was pretty cool. And uh, yeah, so looking forward to, uh, to wearing that, but I got to get, I got to get Shane his just didn't, didn't work out. Uh, nobody wanted to go driving around and all the smoke uh, that we've had since we got those. And Eric also sent us some clear skies stickers. So that's fun. Which, which turned into real clear skies. How it about did. that? <laughs> it did. Yeah. Send more of those stickers. And <laughs> Alistair sent me a giant uh, planisphere. I, I think I must've mentioned it or mentioned wanting one for my observatory because, or maybe he just figured I, I wanted, or maybe I mentioned it to him. Yeah. Um, but I just wanted one sort of for the wall of my observatory. I don't know why I've just seen people have them uh, on the walls of their observatories before, or just having them around. I don't really have a good planisphere. And uh, so he sent me one of these Firefly ones um, from Firefly Publishing. And it's pretty big. Um, I don't know how big it is. It's at least uh, 12 or 14 inches across or something. So it's a good size. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of just uh, a neat thing to have. And uh, yeah, really nice not to have to have gone out and bought a brand new one. So um Sounds like you weren't able to get any observing in, and unfortunately, Shane. No, I had no gas in the gas tank, uh, the proverbial gas tank. Um, I was just not very energetic last night, so I went to bed early and uh, missed out on a, a night of opportunity. Yeah, yeah, it was a it was a pretty good night. Um, oh yeah, I had some views of Jupiter as well. It's like almost hard to remember because I went out, I got set up just at like eight, and then I observed from nine until um 11 and then i got up at quarter to four and observed from four until um about five like it was starting to get bright still but yeah it was mm -hmm. just nice to scan around and it was still it's still a little bit muted there's still some high smoke around and the odd little bit of clouds so it's not like perfect ideal conditions or anything but uh, definitely the best conditions we've had in the past uh 40 or 45 days or so i think we had had some okay nights uh, back early in July, but uh, yeah, since since like our trip to Grasslands or the trip I went on with Mike and Peter and a few others to Grasslands back in end of July, I don't think we've had as many good nights. So, all right, um, yeah, and I kept forgetting to look at Saturn. One of the listeners asked, "Are you looking at Saturn?" And no, I was not looking at Saturn. Uh, excuse me. Primarily, it's just I've been using my binoculars. And uh, I have taken a look at you can kind of sort of see the rings just because you know they're there kind of thing, but it's not really an instrument for looking at Saturn with and just with the uh, observatory still under 
construction, seemingly never ending construction on the observatory. Um, yeah, my, uh, my other telescopes are kind of just sort of put away. And it also feels like, well, I should just take advantage of of the wandering around observing with the image stabilized binoculars since since I have them. But have you gotten any uh, recent observing in on Saturn chain in the past uh, month or so? Well, yeah, I guess the last time would have been when I was in Grasslands National Park. Uh, I spent a little bit of time on Saturn, but it was pretty low on the horizon. It wasn't, um, maybe it was just a couple hours past it rising. Mm -hmm. And uh, it it, I didn't spend a lot of time on it. And, um, the, the only thing that really stands out for me is just how much the, the rings have tilted, you know, closer to being edge on towards our perspective. Um, you know, it seems like as it gets closer, you know, the, the last little bit of movement seems to really accelerate. And I think it's just because it's so close to getting to edge on that, you know, you, you notice it more, it's more apparent, but, but, uh, that's the only thing that really stood out for me. Yeah, and currently it's just past opposition, opposition having been on August 27th. And essentially what opposition is, is when Saturn is opposite the sun in our night sky, which means it rises at uh, sunset and it sets at sunrise. So right now, since it's just past that um, by a couple of weeks, we're only just getting into the period of time where Saturn is in the evening sky versus having to get up in the morning sky. And since uh, you, you tend not to get up as much in the morning sky as I do, Shane, that means that it's probably just starting to get on your radar as an observing target. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. Um, I'm not, I'm not really too, I'm not fond at all of waking up in the morning to go observing. I prefer to do it before bedtime. And, uh, uh, as such, I don't really see the planets until they get past opposition. Yeah, which is which is all good. I do like to get up in the morning and observe. I always have. I've always done this. I thought that's just what people did when I get into astronomy, but uh, apparently not everybody does that. Uh, let's see. Currently, it's in Aquarius. So this is one of the uh, autumn constellations. Anyway, so when you're thinking of like Aquarius, you know, think about being up there in autumn. And it's just about uh, 12 degrees um, below the ecliptic. So, um, in being in Aquarius and, you know, uh, this region of the sky, it is, uh, much more, uh, easily observed because it's quite a bit higher up than it has been in, I think like the past five or six years anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Which is great. You know, for us, uh, Northern observers, um, you know, every degree counts just to get out of that kind of dirty atmosphere and be able to see as much clarity as possible. And you're referring to um, the rings of Saturn. So the rings of Saturn, they appear to tilt. Now, I don't think Saturn itself actually tilts so much as it's more of our perspective on it. And right now, we're about nine degrees off plane from the rings. And right now, it's uh, revealing the North Polar region. So you might get a view of like, sometimes there's like different features and different bands and different um patterns in you know on, on like that polar region we actually have a pretty good view almost right down onto the polar region now and those rings are actually going to be edge on in 2025 but uh what this all means is that this is the last time to get a really good view of the rings until 2027 when they'll start mm -hmm. to open up again so like Shane was saying they're they're pretty tight in now you can still see them you can still get a good view of the rings next year you'll see them uh, but they're just going to appear kind of like Galileo's ears. And because uh, when Galileo first observed it, it they were um, 
at that position. They were very close to being edge on later. Again, he observed it and they were edge on. And then he observed it again. And there were still just like these years that would sort of come and go be, just because of the, the timing when he was observing it. Uh, but right now, yeah, you'd have to wait for another uh, few years, four years even to get another good view of the rings. So this is your time to take a peek at them. Yeah. And within the rings, you can see the Cassini division, which is probably the most uh, popular or easiest to observe feature within the rings, which is a the big wide gap um, that is quite famous in a lot of photographs. And I just read recently, uh, Justin, who's been on the show, uh, recently observed the Aniki uh, division as well. So you can still see some of that ring detail, but probably next year, like you mentioned, Chris, I don't know that you would be able to see it just because it'll be so close to edge on. So this will be the last opportunity to really uh, be able to observe some of that ring detail. Yeah. So the rings themselves, um, they, they take on this sort of almost photographic appearance and what we're actually seeing there is tiny particles, many of which have, have come off the moons or or would have been otherwise formed moons. And, and the rings are sort of kept in shape by the moons that uh, that are in orbit around Saturn. And I forget, I, I read again that Saturn has once again taken the lead with so many hundred to 200 moons of all shapes and sizes from, you know, I think about the size are larger than our moon um, with Titan, but uh, as, as small as like refrigerators and stuff like that. I don't know what the cutoff point is, but some of these things are getting pretty tiny, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, they are. Um, the 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 ring uh, division that that you referred to, Shane, I was heard it as the Ank or Anki division. Um, and what that is, is a, a gap in the rings. So when we see the rings themselves and, and thus the plural, uh, usage of of the word ring, what we're seeing there is uh, basically these different pathways. It kind of looks like grooves of a record. And we see uh, that there's different uh, tones and, and shades to them. So for example, I always see like that outer ring as sort of a more orangey color or sometimes almost like a, a ghostly semi-transparent. Uh, and then that inner ring will have more of a color tone closer to, to the planet itself. And then sometimes you can see sort of even inside of that, you can see that there's sort of a thin little ring. And then uh, inside of that, there's this gap uh, between the ring itself and the planet. So um, typically what, what is really enjoyable to do is just sort of to see the rings and then to start trying to uh, pick apart uh, the different components that you can see. I'm not sure. How do you observe the rings there, Shane? Um, usually with Saturn, I, you know, I'm not uh, much of a wide field guy anymore, but I do like to start off with a wider field. There's just something very picturesque with seeing Saturn imprinted on a, you know, a black canvas basically, and, and, you know, a bunch of other stars in the field. So I usually start low and then just as much magnification as I can. And, and, uh, you know, that's always dependent on the atmosphere. Yeah. And, and once the rings are seen, we can, you know, start trying to pick up those, uh, divisions. And usually it takes sort of progressively higher power. The Cassini division is the main division between that inner and outer ring I spoke of. Um, and that that one usually is is something that we're able to pick up on. And then the ink division um, or Anki division, however, however you want to say it, is this little uh, gap at the very edge of the ring, sort of out towards space. And uh, that one usually you need a, a pretty decent, uh, you know, eight or 10 inch telescope to uh, to actually pick up. 
Yeah, I don't think I've seen that in my reflect or my refractors before. Um, I've tried, but uh, that's a that's a pretty tough observation. Um, yeah, the one that I read of Justin's, I think he has a a fifteen inch obsession. I think is what he was using, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I'd have to go back. He he posted it on uh, Cloudy Nights. He started a thread on. Oh. Um, it's in the eyepiece forum and it's regarding uh, some microscope eyepieces. He he bought a whole case full of Microsoft or uh, microscope eyepieces and uh, he's been testing them out like Zeiss and like uh, some very wow. high end, very rare, very desirable uh, eyepieces. And uh, he was comparing them. They're 25 millimeter uh, focal length eyepieces and he was comparing them to the 24 millimeter panoptic. And mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting. Um, the panoptic came in third place and it sounded like it was fairly noticeable. <laughs> cool. That's always fun to do those comparisons. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, how about the moons? Do you, what, do you, what do you do with the moons? How do you try to, to look at those? Yeah. So the moons will, of Saturn anyway, will, at least in my modest telescopes, always appear stellar, meaning they look like a star. Um you know, sometimes with the Galilean moons, I'm able with high magnifications to start to make out that there's a disc there, but not so much with Saturn. Um, often Titan is, is the one that really jumps out. It's the biggest and brightest. Um, but I always have to refer to software to determine if I'm seeing moons or if I'm seeing stars, you know, that are just happen to be in the background. Um, but there's usually about five moons that, uh, can be visible depending upon their placement. And, uh, I see you've got a, a sky and telescope tool that you like to use to determine what are moons. Yeah, just, it's very simple to use. It's just at skyandtelescope.com, or you can just type sky and telescope Saturn's moons into a web browser. And it's uh, just a website app that you can launch. And all it does is just present uh, those moons uh, to you in, in the order in which they appear. Um, but the five brightest moons, the ones that you're going to stand the best chance of seeing are uh, Titan, Dione, uh, Enceladus, uh, Tethys, uh, and Rhea. Those mm-hmm. those are the the easiest ones to uh to take a peek at and and it's it's sort of uh these these are kind of like in a way um analogous to to the moons of jupiter although i would say they're um on a order of magnitude fainter maybe you could see titan in a good pair of binoculars i think i've seen it like in mike's 15 by 50s um when it's far away from the planet but the other ones are uh, are relatively faint to see, even like in a four or five inch uh, telescope. You can see them even in smaller apertures. It's just uh, you sort of have to reset that expectation. It's not going to be looking like uh, Jupiter's moons there for the most part. Yeah, exactly. And I, I remember once I was at a public star party and I was there. I hadn't been a member of, of uh, I, I was at the KW Center and I uh, walked up to somebody's telescope and they had a skywatcher five inch apocromat pointed at it and i had my five inch sort of somewhere else and and i i looked in and the person said oh can you can you name those moons ha 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 and i said oh yeah and then i like i named them all just like you know it's it's only knowing sort of one more in comparison to uh to jupiter and it's just it's just really neat to be able to know which moons are are which and you can get like with uh, Enceladus, you can get some of that bright whitening. Like you can notice that it's brighter at times than others because there's one side that's sort of 
uh, white, and there's another side that's sort of this uh, much darker color. So there is uh, a good bit of variance there in, in how they appear. All right, uh, what else? How to observe it, um, sort of what you can observe. What, what eyepieces are you using uh, to observe Saturn chain? Really whatever's in the kit that night. Um, you know, you, there's the argument that is out there around like low elements, simple glass eye pieces. Uh, just use whatever you have, whatever you're comfortable with. Um, you know, for me lately, it's been bino viewing. So, uh, you know, my pairs of, of, of eye pieces that I'd probably be using would be some orthoscopics. Um, but yeah, again, you know, kind of whatever I have with me at that time. How about you? Yeah, it's it's more to do with the power. Like often I'm trying to get whatever power the the atmosphere can hold. I think typically uh for Saturn anyway, around, you know, at least in the uh in the five inch around like 180 or so power seems to kind of be this in in the sweet spot range for either the four inch or the or the five inch. It just seems like that's what the atmosphere will hold. And that seems to uh, be what gives the best results. As far as filters, though, uh, when it comes to the planets, I, I got to admit, I have a, a pretty high preference for this uh, batter contrast uh, boosting filter. And I, I feel like that's essentially just about replaced all the filters in my eyepiece set, simply because it, it really does what the label says. It, it improves the contrast uh, of these planets. And uh, in fact, I just get so used to looking at the planets uh, with the contrast booster on that, uh, you know, I'm always surprised when I don't have it on an eyepiece. I'm like, oh, but I, I typically, uh, I would say more than three quarters of the time, I'll be, I'll be using the beta contrast filter. Not sure about yourself, Shane, if you have any filter preferences? Uh, no, I'm not. I don't really like filters with the planets. Um, I just find they get in the way and kind of slow me down a little bit. So for the most part, I just go with the natural view filterless. And now that I've switched to bino viewing, it just, it, it makes, uh, it makes it, it makes even more, yeah, yeah, like for, for my bino viewer, I'm using a two inch, uh, uh, nose piece to go into the telescope. Um, so in order for me to use those filters now, I'd have to have, uh, like two inch filters. And a lot of my filters are inch and a quarter, particularly mm -hmm. all of my planetary filters are inch and a quarter. So I really don't feel like rebuying them because even when I was, uh, mono viewing, I really wasn't using them that much. I just, I don't like having to screw them in and screw them out. And, yeah. and uh, as such, they often just stay in the case. Yeah. I find with the, um, using the the contrast booster it does really reduce like the glare of saturn and, and jupiter so much that you can get a better depiction of like those tonal characteristics mm -hmm. and and because of that i i find that it's uh it's much easier to observe it for a long time at least in uh, in monocular mode anyway because they are fairly bright um considering you can see them uh just with your your unaided eye so yeah, what magnifications are you using with uh, with Saturn and the Bino viewer? Oh, probably around 100 to 120 times is uh, where I would end up. Um, one of my favorite combos in there is the um, uh, the 12 millimeter, or is it 12 and a half? I can't remember, uh, uh, orthoscopic. So that gives me about uh, 70 times. That's a good place to start. And then usually with those eyepieces, I'll know pretty quickly if I can keep ramping up the magnification or, you know, stay around there. 
Yeah. Yeah, if I can only get 70 times, I'm probably not going to do a whole lot of planetary observing that <laughs> that way. So, yeah. Well, you know, the thing too with, with bino viewing is like there's, there seems to be like an image scale multiplier with bino viewing. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, even 70 times, like it will appear much larger cool. than just using the one eyepiece. So there's, uh, there's something that goes on there. I don't know. Huh. Neat. Uh, Jim sent us a, a, a short email there. Shane, not sure if you would mind reading that. And- before we yeah, get sure. on to Jupiter. Yeah, go ahead. Sure. So uh, Jim says, Chris and Shane, I noticed an opportunity in October uh, that may interest you and your listeners. I see that the shadow of both Io and Ganymede should be visible on Jupiter from 557 to 741 Universal Time on Friday, October 20th. Io will also be transiting Jupiter during most of this period. It will be especially well-placed here in the Pacific time zone from about 10 p.m. uh, to 11.30 p.m. local time on Thursday, October 19th, when Jupiter will be up around 40 degrees. I'm hoping to observe it in my 115 millimeter refractor and capture an image if the seeing cooperates. Uh, Thank you for your tribute to Blake Nancaro and all his contributions. It inspires me to expand my targets to include double star observations. Jim. Yeah, thanks so much uh, for that, Jim. Uh, so that would be, I guess, for us, Shane, that would be uh, well, five fifty-seven uh, UTC. I think it's just uh, essentially a couple minutes before midnight, uh, if I'm not mistaken, on the twentieth, or is it eleven a.m. or eleven p.m.? I think it's. Well, if uh, he's saying Pacific Zone ten to eleven thirty, that would. Oh, he said us... universal. He said universal. Let's yeah, yeah. Oh, oh next so I see. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so that, that would be eleven then. Something like that. Yeah, like 9 to 11 our time, maybe? Yeah, something like that. Anyway, people should do the conversion clearly. We or no, sorry, it. 11 to 1. <laughs> we would yeah. be behind that. Yeah, yeah. My excuse is I stayed up half the night, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, on to uh, Jupiter. Jupiter is uh, over there in southern uh, Aries. I've been observing the moons in the morning uh, for the past uh, few weeks in my binoculars. So that's always just kind of fun. Uh, reaches opposition um, on the night of November 1st slash 2nd. And so right now, up to this point, you need to get up early in the morning uh, to see a chain. Not sure if you've even had a, a decent look at it at this time. Not a decent look. Again, when I was in Grasslands uh, a few weeks ago, I had a look at it, but it was it had just risen. Um, so there wasn't uh, there wasn't a lot of detail to see just because of the uh, the turbulence from the atmosphere being so low on the horizon. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, not a good observation. So like I said, I've been observing the moons. Uh, I haven't really put the telescope on it. Uh, binoculars show, uh, at least my 12X and, and 7X, they just show basically a featureless disk. But you can see those four moons and it's really fun just to watch them change position. Uh, night to night, they were in a really neat little triangle next to the moon with uh, the last uh, brightest one standing very far out from the disk. If you want to identify them, again, Sky and Telescope has that great uh, website tool. This one's just called uh, Sky and Telescope Jupiter's Moon. So you can just Google that and it will launch in your web browser. And then you can you can just sort of use that to determine uh, where the moons are. So last year, I had a really good view of um, one of the moons, I think it was Io in uh in front of the disk of jupiter and you could actually see some of that uh tech now i, now I don't think it was io it was um one of the other moons because i was looking at uh sort of the ice surface it's the one with the icy surface it's just escaping me at uh 
at the moment. Which one has the icy surface? <laughs> it's uh Oh, um Europa. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I was looking at Europa in front of uh in front of Jupiter's disc and I could almost get the sense that it had sort of like this weird sort of eggshell type appearance to it, which I'm guessing was like the uh either I will probably more likely like an like a optical illusion, but uh, certainly could see the disc projected uh, against the planet. So that was pretty fantastic. So let's see, I, I put an image here, I kind of lifted it from from the net, but it's from uh, Daryl Archer, who's who is somebody I know, he uh, is an astrophotographer at the KW Center. And he he took this image and it was it's on sort of freely available at the uh, Sky News website still Well, that thing is still uh, around showing all the different uh, bands, but what what can we see other than the moon, Shane? What can we see on uh, on Jupiter? Well, there's a lot to see. Um, this is one of my favorite planets to observe. This one on Mars, just because there are so many different things to look at. And with Jupiter, um, the cloud, like what you're really observing is a lot of features within cloud bands and they do rotate around the planet quite, uh, quite fast. So on any given night, you know, there's a lot of, um, a lot of detail there that you could potentially observe. Um, and then also as Jim, uh, referred to in his email, there's sometimes, uh, shadow transits or moon transits, um, that are visible through really modest telescopes. Uh, mm -hmm. you just have to get the timing down and hope for clear skies. And then, then you should be able to observe that stuff too. But, um, you know, within the bands, there's the great red spot, which is maybe the most famous feature. Um, mm -hmm. and it, it varies in the intensity of the red from year to year, uh, or it can at least. And, uh, for a while there, it looked like it was fading completely away and then it sort of bounced back and started to yeah. darken up a little bit. Um, so, you know, that's something to shoot for. Um, then probably, uh, you know, the thing that you probably see the most are the two equatorial belts. There's the, uh, the Northern and the Southern equatorial bands or belts that, uh, take on sort of a dark a darker creamier tone maybe a little bit brownish uh, some people might tease out some reds or salmons in there mm -hmm. um and then you have the uh, uh the northern and, and southern polar regions that are also very prominent so those are the things that will jump out most nights um you know in, in most telescopes now, mm -hmm. if you have really good seeing and maybe if you have, uh, well, really you don't even need a, a huge aperture telescope. You really just need, uh, some, some steady atmosphere. And if that happens, you can start to like, uh, see some of the details and storms within the bands, like festoons and barges, uh, they take on different shapes and colors. Sometimes even within the great red spot, you can start to see some textures or, or some variation within that region. Uh, mm -hmm. so there's so much to see. Um, so what, what I always like to say with Jupiter is if you are observing and it is one of those nights where you're, you're able to see a lot of detail and maybe you put in more magnification and, and the image doesn't break down, sp spend the whole night observing Jupiter because those nights are so rewarding and, and they're not, uh, they're not always common. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, there's, there's, uh, an awful lot of detail there that you can see on a good night. So what eyepieces uh, are you using when you observe Jupiter? Maybe what powers with those eyepieces? Well, basically the same same approach as Saturn. Probably start around 70 times and then make my way up depending on what the atmosphere uh, would allow. How about you? 
Yeah, for me, I find that probably the the sweet spot is around that 120-ish to around 150-ish power, at least in in these 100 millimeter and and 5-inch telescopes, simply because uh, Jupiter's features are very large. They're extended. And once you exceed about 150 power, they they just start to get spread out too much. So you're actually losing some some of the light from the individual features. If you can believe it, it almost seems uh, mind mind boggling. But you know, on a, on a night where Saturn is holding 180 or maybe 200 power, I, I still find that ceiling with with Jupiter is up there around uh, 150. And really, uh, you know, much much of the detail can be seen at 125 power. So now, if I'm observing one of the satellites, one of the moons of, of Jupiter, I might, uh, might exceed those powers. But in general, like that 125 to 150 uh, range is, is great, which, which means that uh, good, uh, you know, really 60 millimeter to uh, six inch telescope, like small telescopes can show you uh, all of these sort of main features that you might be able to view. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, That was always a misnomer of mine uh, doing planetary observing. I always thought you needed really big aperture to pull out some of that detail. And then when I started observing with smaller refractors, I was surprised that, you know, A, what I could see, but B, that I actually preferred the view compared to say my 12 inch uh, reflector that I had at the time. Yeah, well, the thing that really struck home for me is uh, I was observing uh, with a buddy of mine, Peter Picure, who builds telescopes, and he had built this, I think it was a 16-inch telescope, beautiful telescope, we were doing all this observing with it, and then one night we went to look at uh, Jupiter, and he was like, oh, just wait a second, and he had built like an off-aperture mask, simply because like there just wasn't any point, it was like a five and a half or six-inch off-aperture mask for looking at Jupiter, just because... Mm -hmm. That there's no point in, uh, or, or not as much point in using the the larger aperture of it. So he just stopped it down to that. And uh, what do we use? Like 150, 160 power or something. Um, beautiful image, of course. Beautiful telescope, and of course, stopped down to that. You're, you're, you know. I think he had it orientated so the most perfect piece of the mirror was was giving you that six inch aperture. But uh, yeah, even with with big telescopes, you'll often see. Uh, uh, observers uh, stopping them down for for Saturn. I don't remember doing that as much, but I do remember doing that uh, with Jupiter with them one night. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good way to uh, do it. You know, um, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So for me, it's basically um, a five millimeter ish eyepiece, and uh, so when I when I go out, I sometimes I might start at low power or something, but typically what I do is I just drop five millimeters in, and if it will hold it on Jupiter, then um, that's great. If it needs less then I'll use like my seven millimeter or 10 millimeter in a, in a barlow. I have all kinds of different barlows with different varying uh, magnifications. So I can kind of hit that power. But if, if I really can't get 120 power out of it, then I'm probably not going to be doing uh, as much unless there's something I'm trying to see, uh, kind of like the same with Saturn where I'll put 150 power and I might back it off a little bit, but, um, I find once you go too too low power on them that you're just, um, you know, it's neat to see the bands that you're showing them to somebody, but other than that, how about, uh, filters or, or those kind of accessories, Shane, what are you using on Jupiter? Same thing. I'm probably not. Um, I will say though, that, you know, at least compared to Saturn, um, Jupiter is really bright, you know, it's big, it's very reflective. 
Um, I have found in the past, like using a neutral density or yep. uh, the contrast booster, like you mentioned, anything to just cut some of that light does help. Um, cause yeah, it can get awfully bright. Uh, increasing the magnification does help cause you're shrinking that exit pupil. So you, mm -hmm. you know, you sort of achieve that through that process, but, um, yeah, you know, I have used a, a variety of different filters and I will say that, um, you know, with all of those details that we talked about using some of the colored rattan filters, um, in the past has, it, it doesn't reveal anything that I couldn't see without the filter, but it does make some of those cloud band features, uh, pop out a little bit easier or, or highlight them a little bit better. Yeah. Like a blue or yep. green or something like that. Yeah. I, I find for those, like the contrast filter works pretty good, but uh, on this one, I, I can kind of go back and forth between the contrast booster and the neutral density. Like you said, I forget what mine is. Like, a, I think mine's just 25% or something. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I almost can't even tell the difference between the neutral density and the contrast booster on Jupiter anyway, whereas on uh, like Mars and Saturn, I, I can see a pretty significant difference. So, yeah. All right. Anything else uh, that uh, we should chat on about Jupiter? No, I, I don't think so, Chris. All right. Well, there, there you go, folks. That's just like a brief sort of observing guide to these two uh, gas giants right now. Saturn is coming into the evening sky. And hey, if you're going to be observing that for a couple hours, like last night, I, I was just out, out observing. And then by the time I was uh, done, I could actually see uh, Jupiter was getting high enough um, at around 10 o'clock to, uh, to take a look at the moons, at least. So hopefully you'll be able to get out and take a look. Anything uh, to add to this episode, Shane? No, that's it. All right. Well, thanks, listeners. Please subscribe and do us a favor and share the show with other stargazers you know. And you can always send us your show ideas, observations, and questions to actualastronomy at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com. <laughs>